Hey everybody, welcome to episode 45 of Making It. 45? Woo! Woohoo! I'm Bob wow. Waggett, here with Jimmy Duresta. Hello. And David Picciuto. I almost jumped the gun. You I almost do took this. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you were going to do it in tune with me. I was going to go, hello. Hello. Uh, we're here. <laughs> this is it. Bob, you were supposed to join in on that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, would, I wasn't going to. I was going to leave you guys out hanging there. Sorry. I ran out of breath holding that note. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys up to? What are you working on? No. Bob, what are you no. up to? What are you working on? Let's oh, start with me you. first. Yeah. Oh, well, all right. All right. Um, working on my arcade machine still. Nice. And um, it's actually almost completely constructed, which is pretty cool. I'm cutting the uh, like the front plate where the monitor goes today. So I'm cutting that on CNC. Um, and I'm actually going to do, oh, you know, it's just a plate. And I was going to cut out an area for the monitor to come through. And I realized that it would be kind of cool to use the CNC to make a kind of chamfered edge that has a curve to it. So it follows like the bezel on an old school TV. You know how like an old tube TV would have the kind of, it had a chamfer on the sides, but it had a curve to it as well. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm faking that on the CNC to have on my flat screen monitor. Oh, cool. I was <laughs> so, going to ask if you're using a flat screen or if you went with like a CRT monitor. No, the CRTs are so big yeah. and heavy and you can still get them and you can actually get them brand new that are, you know, made for that. Hmm. Um, but it just didn't seem worthwhile to me. So yeah, I'm using a, a 27 inch LED monitor. It's a pretty inexpensive one, you know, that I got, but, um, I just figured that'd be more versatile and yeah. so, you know, cause like most of the, I've said this before, most of the machine is empty and there's very little to it. And so if I were to put that big CRT in it, that would just eat up, you know, a lot of space right. so, and change the design and stuff like that. So Maybe yeah, 50 pounds, 50 times heavier. Yeah. And it's heavy enough as it is. I mean, it's a combination of MDF and plywood and like some of it's three quarter inch MDF and some of it's half inch and it's just, it's heavy. Are you going to, are you going to eventually be broadcasting the show from inside of it with all that extra space? <laughs> You're going to make the desk in there? Well, yeah, I'm building a team and the team is going to live in different parts. We're gonna go, Hi, this is, this is uh, Bob Coggett inside the machine. <laughs> I am currently underneath the control board. Yeah. So, uh, Working on that, and I'm also let's see what else am I doing? I'm building a computer. Um, I so saw I'm, that. What's yeah, going on? So, so I, a friend of mine who has been doing, I said last week, somebody's been helping me with editing. Good friend of mine has been helping me do some rough edit stuff, and um, like he's doing some graphics for me. I put out a video today. I'm getting really off topic. Hold on. So I put out a video today about the Arduino stuff, and I got him to do the edit, and he did the graphics for some of the explanation of digital versus analog and so he did he just does really good stuff and is adding a new kind of level to the video stuff that i'm working on is so it that's different from what when you previewed it with us during the week no it's the same one yeah yeah no it's great it's really great yeah so anyway he has built um in the past a hackintosh where you build your own pc and then you install the macintosh os on it and you can get a kind of you know better machine, higher quality, faster processor, all that stuff, but it still runs the Mac stuff and you can run your editing software and all that. So he's done that in the past. So he helped me figure out exactly what to get. And I'm currently building the machines built and I'm trying now to get the Mac OS installed on it. Is it, is it difficult to do, to get the, the OS on there? It's not difficult to get it on there, to get all of the different hardware to work with it is where the trouble seems to come in because, you know, on windows you download drivers for different video cards or whatever you get. And a Mac, they don't do that because they control the hardware. So they put only in the drivers that they need and you generally don't have access to the drivers for other stuff. So, um, that's kind of an extra step that you have to do. And that's where I'm at now. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge community of people out there who do this and they figure out, exactly how to put all those pieces together and how to bundle all the drivers and kind of get everything you need, you know, so there's a lot of resource for it, but that's what I'm in the middle of doing, trying to build a machine that's dedicated for editing so that when my friend is over here editing, he can be working on that one, you know, on like a high power machine. And then I can still be running business stuff, doing email and everything on it's so my cool. laptop. So, and that's, that's, yeah. that's such the, the Bob Cleggett way of doing things too. <laughs> <laughs> How is that? that? Explain that to me. I'd like well, to know. Be, because that. a normal business, if when you ha- hire somebody to do 
video, you would buy them a computer to use, or you have a deal where they use their own computer, or you have an old computer that they use. Or they but, sit on your lap in between your yeah. emails. But you decide to go the hard way. <laughs> and I love that. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's what I'm doing. And I'm filming an interesting video tonight that I'm not going to say anything about, but you'll see it just a few days after this episode comes out. So it should be fun. It's going to have some new stuff in it for me. New filming stuff. Ooh, new ground. New ground. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. So, All right. Yeah. What are you doing? So um, by the time you hear this, I should have my ring video out. The, it's, the edit's basically done. I'm waiting for the sponsor to approve their spot on there. And new, speaking of new ground, I think I found a little editing technique that is, I'm the only one doing it in our field. And so I'm going to, if it works and I don't get too many complaints about it, I'm going to, this might be my thing as, you know, I'm always talking about developing my style and making myself different than anybody. Maybe this is, this is that, that step towards my style. Hmm. So, um, I mean, I, I guess I'll get to see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, should I, should I leave it as a teaser? Do you want me to explain it? When it's, do up to to you. You? Hmm. Oh, hmm. it's up to you. I'll leave it as I'll explain it. <laughs> uh, so, um, and so in the movie, Wet Hot American Summer, I love the opening sequence of that because it's everybody around the campfire. And then, then so the camera's kind of panning around and they're dancing in slow motion. Then there's a freeze frame, but the camera still kind of moves so slightly. Like it's like they're doing pan and scans. And post, hmm. and then you know some the credits show up on the screen, and so I took that as inspiration. And so in my video for the ring, when an important bullet point needs to come up on screen, I do the freeze frame, but it's hmm. still moving real slow. And then my bullet point com- comes up to emphasize that point on the screen, nice. and then and then it continues. And so if I don't get too many complaints about it, I'm going to use that as kind of like my my style and, and how I'm going to it really forces you to read what's on the screen because the motion stops. Hmm. And then you you read that and then it kind of hopefully sits in your brain. I'm also doing a thing in the video where I'm telling you what I'm going to teach you, then I teach you, and then I talk about what I just t- taught you. So uh, I'm working I'm working trying to f- trying to figure out my my flow for the video and i think i think i'm getting there so besides that video um i've been doing a lot of branding work so we talked about branding a couple weeks ago and that really like i need i needed the kick in the butt and again to kind of finish my branding for the new make something so i've been changing out all my avatars and and icons for the different social medias i'm working on my new channel trailer my cat's crying in the background again and uh, working Branding. on my new, <laughs> yeah. I'm working on my new intro sequence for my YouTube videos, and um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on. Uh, something I struggle with, and everybody does it different, and there's benefits to both ways of doing it. But your Twitter and Facebook icons, you have two routes. You can have your logo on there, or you can have a picture of your face on there, right? And I struggle with which one people actually relate to because I don't want to seem too businessy, but I'm also want to reinforce my branding. So I actually removed my face and went with the logos and, and the colors. Can I give you my, my opinion on that? Please do. So I, I thought about that a lot because you want to be human in the thing that you do in the, in the way that you're portrayed to, you know, the people that you're trying to talk to, right? You want them to see you as you. Um, but at the same time, if it's always you, and just your face, then you kind of get lost in the crowd because people who aren't running a business also have their face on their Twitter because it's just them, right? So the way I thought about it was that icons that represent me will always be my branding. And anytime that the actual content that I produce is coming from me personally. So that's why, you know, the videos, I always start them with, hi, this is my name. This you're looking right at me. This is who I am. And here's what we're going to do. And then when you see the icon associated with that, and then you see the icon somewhere else, then you know that they're attached. But so I kind of treat them as, you know, 
where you're doing what thing. Hmm. If it's if it's a place where I am the presenter and I'm trying to be the one that's presenting something to someone, then it needs to be personal. If it's brand recognition and just to a- associate a Twitter handle with a website or with a YouTube channel, then it's logo stuff. So hmm. that was my approach. But. I feel good about my decision then. Thank you. Sure. I have my license plate up. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> my then car have, license plate. Well, but you put your name. See, you have an interesting thing though because you put your name as your branding everywhere but it's also yeah. you so you have kind of a, a yeah a good yeah i just ground. uh yeah I, I that was you know sort of a come off from the tv show they said they, they talked a little bit about the dirty money thing and i just said i'm just gonna use my name and then i had already set up my youtube years before but i wasn't using it so i just use my name everywhere because it I see some people in the TV business, they brand the, the TV show they're on, and then the TV show becomes a memory, and then they're still trying to become a public figure. And so they're attached to the, you know, the memory of a show that's been discontinued. So I kind of smelled that coming down the road, so I just made sure I, I didn't even use the name Dirty Money anywhere. Hmm. So that was, that was a decision, a conscious decision I actually made when I opened my Twitter and my Facebook page, you know, whatever, the public person page. And so... What have I been working on? Um, I just I came back from upstate at five in the morning, and I hardly slept. So you guys keep watching me turn off the microphone and yawn. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you watch me yawn like a hippopotamus like six times. <laughs> I keep trying not to yawn, but then all of a sudden, like my whole entire head just opens up. So I, sh- <laughs> I shut off my mic. But um, actually, the JCB sign came out this week uh, for Joe Munch and uh, from New Mexico. I said Arizona last week, Joe. I'm sorry about that. And uh, it's it's doing well, and we it's so funny how my my the way my life goes. Uh, I, I tend to pull in this this dumb luck. So upstate near my house, I drive past uh, an excavated tractor. I drove past it for like eight years, and I never looked at it. And since I've done this project with Joe and finished it, I've been wanting an excavator so I can do my foundation for my building and then do some modifications around the property. And so I said to him, "Hey, what do you what do you think about you know trying to find me a good used unit? It's like a thirty thousand dollar tractor, you know, if it's a good old used one." And yesterday morning, I drove past this excavator and I just took a quick glance at it, and I don't know why I never noticed it before. It's a JCB tractor, <laughs> so I stopped and I took pictures of it, and I took pictures of the the license plate and everything, or the uh, the serial number plate, and it's at this abandoned project that they were redoing a hotel in the neighborhood, and it's abandoned, and the thing's right in front. And I said to the neighbor, I said, do you know who owns that? He goes, I don't know. He goes, but I can't wait for it to be gone. He goes, I looked at it every morning for the last eight years. He goes, I'm sick of that thing. Whoa. And uh, it's huge. It's giant. Like, it is giant. Anyway, so I went back and forth with Joe, and then I put in a bid for it. So uh, we'll see if I get it. I, I only I offered them a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, the thing could be worth ten or fifteen or $20,000. I don't know what, but in the condition it's in, I wouldn't pay more than two. It's all there, but it, it hasn't run. So if it doesn't run at all, then it's not worth it. But the, the the reason I bring this up is because if it if it's something that I'm able to acquire, it's going to make a really cool YouTube toy for me to play <laughs> yeah. with this giant bucket backhoe thing. You know, it's like this thing. It's like what you see at a construction site, but it's huge. The the bucket's like looks like it's nine feet wide. And great, so, we, um, that's all we need is another YouTuber with a backhoe. That's <laughs> no, gonna be fun. I'm telling you, I'll be like ripping trees up, and I'll, I'll take oh, that man. that car I started, and I'll just destroy it. I'll pick it up and drop it around. <laughs> yeah. I'll rip it apart like a rag doll. Because <laughs> this is so much more fun to, to restore. Yeah. So um, I'm working on that. I don't know if that's gonna turn into anything, but the reason I bring that up is because like the JCB sign came out, and everybody really likes it. I'm getting some really good reviews on it, and then I turn around like the like 24 hours after I put it up and I see this tractor and I'm like, wow, this thing is like totally acquirable and it's like three miles from my house. Hmm. And anyway, so I'm working on the ice picks and then if anybody's following me on Snapchat, you'll notice I, I put a new X-Feed motor on my 1960s Bridgeport and uh, my X-Feed motor, you could, you could set the Bridgeport to, to auto-feed in left and right or in the X-axis. And about two weeks ago, I left it on and I didn't realize that it had jammed it, it, the gears had jammed or something, or maybe it even bottomed out. I wasn't paying attention, and the motor burnt out. I left the 
the shop and I came back in and the whole shop was full of smoke and it smelled like burning tar and I was like panicking looking for what was wrong and I looked and it looked like my motor turned into a barbecue there was smoke coming off it and the paint had turned all black and uh, so that was the X-Feed motor so I brought it to a motor guy and he said it's going to cost you $2,000 to rewind it he goes why don't you just go to eBay so I went to eBay and I found a motor in Indiana the guy sent it to me it was 200 bucks, and I put it on the other night on, on Snapchat and it works fine thankfully so I solved that problem. Um, and then my ice picks. I'm just working on my ice picks. And uh, this week I'm going to start a couple of new projects. I'm working on an axe video where I'm going to make an axe with a wooden handle, contrary to what everyone's going to expect. <laughs> um, but the head is going to be – I actually already finished the head. The head's chrome fireman's axe. So that might be my next video. I'm not sure. And then, I thought you were uh, going to say the head was going to be wood as well just to make everybody mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should yeah. switch the two. Wooden axe head. No. I have a really, I have a good idea for an axe. I've had the idea for a long time, but then I just found the perfect axe to modify. Uh, it's going to turn the axe world upside down. <laughs> Everyone's going to get so mad. They're going to, they're just going to like punch their computer when I put this video up. That's what I like. It's a guitar yeah. that shoots axe heads <laughs> shaped like guitar. an AK-47. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's it's just a little stupid modification for an axe, but it's going to cause so much discussion. Yes. Then I, it's going to be like when you kick an anthill, like they all just run around and like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? They're not going to know all the all the axe nerds are not going to know what to do with themselves when they see this video. That's going to be in a few weeks. So, but I, I actually found the axe I'm going to mod, and like the idea all came together this week. So, I'm happy about that. So that's what I'm up to. Just uh, more videos, and then just some kind of some boring client work. Nothing really worth mentioning, hmm. but. Cool. Well, um, so we're going to run through some questions that we have uh, quite a few left over from Twitter and stuff. And But before we do that, I want to thank Luis Gonzalez Mm. and Nicholas Gomez and Jeremy Mm. White and Mm. everybody else from Patreon. Uh, Those three guys are our top uh, supporters on Patreon. So I always want to shout out to them. And just thanks to everybody who supports us there. Because that's the income source that we have for the yes. show. Thank you. That's, Thank you all very that's much. That's it. And so we are very grateful for that. Um, so we have some questions. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. And we can jump around to whatever. I wrote down a couple of them um, that, are, that are pretty unrelated. But they're things that I think uh, we should talk about. Before we do the questions, though, actually, I, I want to talk about a video that I saw today. So uh, you guys have heard of a, the freebooting, right? Where people rip the videos off of YouTube and they stick them yeah. on Facebook. My There's... bottle cap video is like going gangbusters on Facebook. Really? My have cousins you... are all finding it and they're so excited. They're like, look what I found. Are you Somebody stole your video. Are you submitting it to have it taken, taken down? No, I mean, I don't know. Does it really matter? I don't know. Well, I saw that. Are you going to talk about that video today that went around yeah. about Facebook? Yeah. yeah. Talk about that. I just watched it with Taylor. So there's a video and I don't even remember the name of the channel that it's a really well done video. It's all animated, but it talks about what what's happening and like why Facebook doesn't really seem to care that these videos are being ripped, put on Facebook, and then getting billions of views, literally billions, because they're able to make money on every view, every page view from the ads that they're selling. And so even though the people that are putting the videos there don't really make any money off of it, Basically, Facebook doesn't have any incentive to take these videos down because they're making money off the ads that they show on the page when these videos are being watched. And so you have to go you know, to them and tell them, fill out this long form and ask them to take the video down, and then it can take a day or so. And these videos, like your Jimmy, yours is probably getting millions and millions of views. Um, and part of that whole thing is that Facebook's algorithm for what they show favors their own native video more than embedded YouTube video. And mm-hmm. I, I think we've all seen this. Like when we make a YouTube video, I don't post the YouTube video to Facebook directly anymore because it never shows up for anybody that follows my page. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always get a lot of comments. Nobody ever says that they can't see it, but it's just, a, it's really just to remind people that, hey, you know, I just put up something new. Yeah. You're not getting as many views as, as you possibly could. If you post a link instead or a teaser f- native Facebook video, you'll get way more views on Facebook. Yeah. It's just the way that, their algorithm works. Yeah, so that's what I've started doing. And that's a trick that I think David and I both learned from Tim Schmoy on video creators. Um, 
uh, I make like a 15 second version of the full video, put it, embed it into Facebook and have it lead people out to the YouTube thing. Anyway, so all this leads back to this video that we saw today that has gotten passed around and I'll link to it in the description, but it's a really good thorough explanation of the whole problem and like how it affects, you know, individual creators versus giant corporations like Facebook. <laughs> well, it seems how that seems like maybe they're going to maybe try and hopefully clear it up or at least try to. Now that it's kind of the curtain's been pulled back. They've been saying that for a while, though. Yeah. And one of the reasons I like the video so much is the motion graphics that they use. It's really entertaining to watch. And so you're getting a lot of information at once, but they break it down for you with these visuals that are – it's entertaining to watch. And you're not just, you know, watching a a, a hateful Facebook video. So Yeah, that's true. It's not really bashing Facebook. It's just talking about kind of the mechanics of – Mm, you know, there's some bashing, just, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not just like Facebook's awful. It's it's just saying they're doing the this. Gra- the way they make the graphic like this crazy eye. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but anyway, so we'll put that video down there. Everybody can check it out. I think it's worth watching because it gives you an idea of, you know, what's actually happening um, around the creators that people may like and watch. And There's a great point in that video where, like, it talks about if those Facebook views were considered was converted into YouTube views, it could mean the possibility of somebody doing YouTube as a hobby and somebody doing YouTube as a career. And that that's the point that really hit me. I was like, wow, you know, that, that it does make a difference. But, you know, the interesting thing that they said, too, was that uh, what constitutes a view is three seconds of the video playing on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So that's why when you see a video on Facebook, you're like, wow, how does it get so many views? It says, it says almost all of them are just passively happening and people aren't even paying attention. They're just scrolling through their feed and all of a sudden, if it takes three seconds for it to pass through the screen while it's playing, even muted, it will count as a view. Yeah. yeah, Which is pretty so, messed up. The views aren't nearly as potent as, as the lesser view count that you get on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. So I guess in that way, it also doesn't translate the same, you know. So I guess like if... Jimmy, your bottle video is on Facebook and it's got a million views. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost a million YouTube views. Right. right. It could have meant that you've lost half a million or, you know, whatever. Still more. You've lost some. But yeah. um, anyway, so hopefully that's a problem they can fix at some point. Um, So let's, let's get to some questions. There's a really interesting one here from someone about um, – Oh gosh, I lost the question. Okay, any makers, artists, inventors in history that you guys would like to have met? And I'm going to challenge us to answer that without talking about people that we've talked about before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just threw a wrench. Yes. Okay. Okay. Anybody got I know somebody that was been in the news, and it's funny because when his name came up in the news, I thought he already died. I couldn't believe he was still alive. Did anybody notice George Barris died this week? Oh, yeah. The guy who who made all the Hollywood movie cars for the yeah, last the Batmobile. 50 years. Yeah, he made the first Batmobile and, and all these cool cars. So he, he's always somebody that, when, even when I was a kid, I, me and my brothers all wanted to make cool old cars like that. And uh, as we got older, some of our friends did, and we just never really had the space or the facility to do it. So until I got older and like was able to have my place upstate and play around with cars. Oh, that's a lie. I was able to do a couple cars growing up in my mother's driveway, but I mean, I always really my fantasy is to really build cool art cars when when I have the space upstate. So, th- he was always an inspiration of the things that he did. Hmm. It's funny. I mean, you see all those cars and you you didn't realize they were all from one person's mind. So that's yeah. George Barris. That's that's somebody. And I have a couple more, but we can go around. Are there any other people like around the car? That that part of you and like that part of you growing up. Well, Henry Ford was you know the way he. Uh, I know that he tried several times before he finally had the success with the Model T, as were a lot of the inventors at the turn of the century and you know, before the turn of the century. A lot of those inventors, like, uh, and then you had like Tucker later on in time, like around the forties, who made the the car that there was only apparently. 40 made or 45 made and you know to own a tucker is to own a million dollar sample um and just some of those cool old cars it's just the the other the idea of the car industry at the turn of the century how you could have like a a car like the auburn or 
you know, I, don't, I can't even think of good examples like Cadillac and, and all these little car brands that all started out as just like somebody's idea. Mm. And Lincoln, you know, just somebody's idea. And, you know, the, they, they just started the car company. And then, you know, as companies began to grow and be bought up by one another, then you ended up with General Motors. But the idea, it's so funny, in my own little tiny, 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 tiny little way, I made 100 ice picks over the weekend on my, on my South Bend lathe. And I kind of really was channeling guys at the turn of the century that started their own dumb little tool companies that turned into Dremel or that turned into Craftsman or that turned into all these other big brands. And I was thinking, here I am just drilling a hole in the end of a piece of brass over and over and over and thinking, could this be the beginning of like a big tool company? Hmm. You know, 150 years ago, this is how you find out that's how, you know, I can't even think of another good example that I haven't repeated. Well, like all the Stanley and the Black & Decker stuff. I mean, that's, that yeah. started with, you know, just a couple of guys making hand planes or making, you know, measuring tools or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. So when I think of like Tucker and, and Henry Ford and, and these turn of the century guys, oh, and of course, Thomas Edison, I always think. The, these guys just had an idea. They started making one or two at a time. Even if you guys ever read the, the story of the guys who, who made South Bend lathes. Hmm. You know, I recently read it because I got so interested in the last year on South Bend's. And um, there was a couple of brothers. They, they, they worked at another tooling company, but then they started making their, their own lathes, their own screw-cutting lathes. And just interesting how it, it became a whole industry. And it just starts out with a couple of guys making them themselves. It's, it's funny. This is just like a little tiny, it's like a seedling in a cup, hmm. my little ice pick thing. But I have a couple of other ideas which could maybe expand. And, you know, uh, thankfully I have the audience that's interested in what I'm doing, which helps. And so we'll see if I can, can grow it. And, and again, it's just, it's just me thinking of the turn of the century, how a lot of these, you know, huge companies now started really tiny by just making one item. It's interesting too, if you think about like a lot of the, well, like we've talked about Glowforge the last, you know, several weeks. Companies like that and like all the ones that are making 3D printers and CNC machines, you know, they're small companies that are making one kind of new innovative tool, even if it's a digital based tool. And, you know, they're getting all this funding to, you know, Kickstarter or whatever to be able to produce these tools. And they're immediately, once they get to market, they're immediately at the same level as these other really established. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I'm really starting small by just yeah. drilling holes in a chunk of brass. And then sticking an ice pick tongue in it, you know. It's like but it's I'm the like, same. It's the same process, though. It's just really interesting how. Um, no one's giving me millions of dollars on Kickstarter. The whole well, like but, but the leap. I mean, these days, the leap from you know making a hundred ice picks to being a full fledged company that people respect at the same level that they respect these kind of iconic tool companies. That yeah. leap is way smaller than it used to be. That's, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny the way technology and, and human advancement, it, it just keeps, it just keeps, the speed just continuously doubles on top of doubles on top of doubles. Mm-hmm. You know, the first, uh, the first 50 years, you know, the second equivalent of that 50 years happened in the next 25 and then the next 12 and so on and so on. Yeah. It's the way computing power has always been. There's a name for that. I can't remember exactly what it is, but where, you know, the jumps in between processor speeds has like gotten half as or twice as fast over half mm-hmm. the time, you know, over yep. and over and over. And now the increments between one processor and the next are so small that they're like almost negligible. But you know, everything is just so fast. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so for me, I think and this may be a cop out, but it's not a cop out. <laughs> da Vinci, mm-hmm. and that's because I've always had a lot of respect for him because he was as scattered as I feel half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you know, super talented in all these different kind of unrelated, but related fields. Um, and I, I would be really curious to read something about him personally, about like just how he dealt with all the things that he was interested in and how he moved, you know, what, cause I don't know a lot about his history, but it would be interesting to know what parts of his life were spent on what, you know, architecture or painting or inventions or, Whatever, because that's the way I feel where like my brain is going, oh, look at that thing over there. I would love to learn how to do that. And I get halfway to that thing and I go, oh, wait, there's something over this direction that looks really interesting. And I want to learn all this stuff. ADD. And, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I can focus on things when I, you know, when I get there and I sit down and go, okay, I want to learn this skill. I can focus on it to do it. It's not like I'm that scattered. 
but it would be really interesting to look at his life and see how he moved in between all those different things over that you know period of whatever 50 60 years or whatever but he 60, was just, 67 he was just ridiculously talented in so many different things and you know like i've always thought of myself as someone who i can know enough of welding to be able to weld. I can know enough of electronics to be able to wire something up, but I'm not like super good at any of those things. I don't have to be, and that's fine. I, like I, that's not my intention. But him, he was really good <laughs> at all the things, you know. So he's somebody I would love to have like shadow for a little while and just kind of see how they worked and I'm I'm looking at did you know that he 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 was hired, I'm remembering this, but I'm also kind of just briefly going through his he was hired to be a weapons inventor. Yeah, or that's I what most. France. That's what most of those inventions were. They were based around not all of them, but a lot of them were based around you know military use. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of them never actually got uh, built. They were all just on paper. Interesting, because I've been drawing blanks and brainstorming since you guys have been talking, and barely paying attention to what you're saying because <laughs> I was thinking so hard. Because um, of course I would say Ray and Charles Eames, but I'm not allowed to say that since I've already talked about them in the past. And that's why I said it. Yeah, yeah. And you're pushing me to my limits. So um, and so then it was a lot of musicians came to mind. Um, you know, I was crazy, crazy into Nirvana. So kind of would be interesting to like have a conversation with the thought process of, of, you know, writing a song with Kurt Cobain. Um, but that's, that's too easy of an answer. And so when you said, when you said Da Vinci, I'm like, Oh, Tesla, watch any documentary on Tesla. And that dude was crazy because he was, he gets like super hyper-focused, didn't relate well to the general population and insanely smart. Yeah. And yep. so there's there's some great there's a there's a great documentary on PBS. I don't know what it's called, but look it up. It's on Netflix. There's two documentaries on Netflix on him. And he's just such an interesting guy and so crazy smart and way Yeah, he was of trying to send electric through the air like yeah. he was a very did you see any of that, that thing he built in Long Island that would transmit electric? That yeah. big giant tower? <laughs> yeah. And his studio, his studio was like four blocks from where I am right now. The oh, studio he had on Houston Street. Yeah. Hmm. It's pretty crazy. amazing. He had a, a big stu- well, he had a studio on Houston Street mm-hmm. and, uh, and Mulberry, or Houston and Mott, which is just a few blocks from where I am right now. Hmm. So he was actually going to be my second one. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you. I, I forget if the question was like living or dead. There's if if we're expanding it to living, um, Jack White, uh, the musician, is there's so many great things about Jack is because he understands the music industry these days where people don't buy music and consume music the way they used to. So he's always coming up with super creative ways to get to to make a living to have a successful business and to get music into people's hands. So he has all these crazy vinyl ideas. I mean, they're vinyl records that play backwards and have hidden tracks. Uh, he's got um uh, there's a division, there's a book division of his record label. He not only has a record label, but he has a physical store. They have a place where you can uh, ban- touring bands can come play. And so he has multiple streams of income and ideas. So, which applies to what I do, because if I have all my eggs in one basket and that basket gets a hole in the bottom, I'm done, right? So I'm always... No more eggs. Yeah, no more eggs. And so I, I kind of use that as, as like a for my business model, like don't have all my eggs in YouTube, don't have all my eggs in, uh, you know, PDF plans or whatever. So I'm, I'm, I kind of spread myself out yeah, that, so I'm sure you, you've seen this, but other people may not have. When his last album came out, he did this really awesome video, we'll have to find it and link to it, where he played a song, him and his band played a song in the studio. Oh, yeah. And they recorded it directly to vinyl, and this is one continuous video. They recorded it directly to vinyl, took the blank from the studio where it was recorded to the pressing place and pressed records from it right away and then sold them to people that were at the show where he recorded it. Like, yes. It was all one big thing. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it's just thinking outside the box and that goes right along with, with Tesla and Da Vinci yeah. and, and, and Henry Ford. I'm glad you brought up Henry Ford. Watched, that dude was a jerk, but watch a documentary on him. Mm-hmm. He, was inc- yeah. he was crazy intelligent. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yep. I don't like know I a whole lot about Ford. I need to look into it. Oh, anyway. there's a great PBS documentary. It's on Netflix. It's on PBS's website about Henry Ford. It might be just called Henry Ford. Watch it. Interesting. Good stuff. Hmm. The, I mean, and then also, I mean, in, in that same vein, the Wright brothers. And the one thing that, like, sometimes I always think to myself, well, if the Egyptians could have done it, then I could figure this stupid thing out. But then uh, in that same thought process, I think in terms of these guys, you know, obviously a little bit more relatable because they're only 100 years ago, not 10,000 years ago. And, but they all had so many failed attempts at anything they did. They just kept trying again and again and again and again. And, they, you know, it's a, it's like a modern day guys running around trying to make a movie or a record. You know, that's but they they were working with the inventions of the times, yeah. and the, you know at the time it was such a rich time in the country in the world because all these inventions just kept popping up that are like standard industry today, and uh, it's just you know the prime the time was right the industrial revolution was you know toward I guess toward the end of its full swing, and uh, toward you know just toward the end of this being what it was and what it was going to remain to be, and. All these inventions, it was just such a fruitful time for inventors in general. And these guys just kept hitting on all cylinders, but took time to get to these successful ideas, such as the airplane and the Model T. And there were other cars around at the time, but you know, he, he approached it as like, you know, it's, we're not going to hand make each one. We're going to make them all at the same time. So stupid things like that. And then, you know, a lot of the rifle makers at the time also, uh, you know, like Browning and these guys, they, they all started making the interchangeable parts, you know, based on all that same stuff. So you could find three guns and make one good one out of them if you're in the battlefield. You know, that was the thought process. Um, so there, one of the things that I've always been bummed, kind of along those lines, been bummed about Tesla was that very few of the things that he actually came up with and the things that he figured out ever actually made it to becoming like a product or becoming a thing. Like he fought with Edison so much about how to move electricity and the ACDC thing yeah. and, and all that stuff. But uh, from, my, from the stuff I've read about him, is really interesting how much time he spent just working on, just trying to figure things out and not as much time trying to convince other people that they were a good idea. And I know right, he, yeah. did. he didn't mark, he didn't market right. He didn't market products the way. Yeah. But, and you know, and that worked against him, I guess, in the long run. Right. Um, Cause nobody where, remembers any of his inventions. Exactly. They just remember all of his, his theories and his work. Yeah. I mean, and it's a shame that a lot of that stuff, you know, may be lost cause he, I'm sure he figured a lot of things out that never found it, um, his way out of his shop. But, Oh, interesting fact as well. So my great grandfather was, a huge fan. I, I learned this like a year or two ago. I was a huge fan of Tesla. And this is in the early part of the last century, I guess. And my grandmother, her name was Nicola. <laughs> and her brother's name was Tesley. Mm. Yeah. And so I never put that together. Oh, wow. That he had named his kids after Nikolai Tesley, Tesla. So anyway. Wow. Um, so the other person I had I was thinking of, kind of related to all that, is uh, Thomas Jefferson. Have you ever been to his home in in Virginia? No, but I know I know what you're talking about. If you're ever driving down through Monticello in that area, you should go take a tour of it because he has a lot of he did tons of invention-y type stuff as well. Yep. And so his house is full of these like it's been a long time since I've been there so I don't remember any of the specifics, but there was some sort of a crazy uh clock, like this really really complicated clock that worked from room to room or something to that effect. And then there's some really complicated dumbwaiter system in his house. But all this, you know, he just kind of did these things. And they weren't necessarily, that I know of, they weren't um, contributions to like, technology at large and society. They were just things that he did for himself in his house. Um, and there may be some stuff that he put out for society as well. But um, he, from, I remember being in probably seventh or eighth grade and touring his house in Monticello and just being like, whoa, this guy was like not just the statesman that we learn about in school. Like he was actually an inventor and like really intelligent stuff. So it's been cool to be around for some of that as well. Um, so one of the other questions I got today from someone was, they were asking me about Trello. And I've told you guys a little bit about that I was using Trello. And he was asking how I'm using that for projects. And this may be, I don't know if this will be interesting for a lot of people, but I've had a couple of people ask me about it. So Real quickly, Trello is a free uh, web-based, well, it's not, not web-based, but there is a web interface for it. It's a list program. And so 
you can create lists, multiple, um, well, they call them boards, and then on a board you have lists, and then with each list you have items in that list. Each one of those items can then have a bunch of information attached to it. So you can um, add labels, you can add due dates, you can add you know uh, comments and stuff like that. So the way I'm using it is I have a board that's for projects. I have a board that's for ideas. And on the projects board, I'll create a list for November and then one for December and then one for like in progress. And so then I'll, I'll make within the November list, I'll make an item for each one of the projects that I'm going to be putting out this month. And so I can, with those lists stacked up next to each other, like the arcade machine is going to be a long-term project. So I have that in my kind of in progress list. And then when it gets to a point where I'm ready to release it, I, I just drag it over into the list of the month that I want to release it in. And I can set a due date and then there's labels on it. So each I've got labels set up for like, is this one sponsored? Does this one need editing? Does this one need voiceover? Does this one need, you know, whatever images, whatever the things are that it specifically needs. And so anytime I create a new project for a video, I create one of these little items. I set all the little labels on it that define what it needs, what it has left to do. And then from a glance, I look at the whole board, I can see, this month has three projects in it, and the next month has four projects in it. And because I have those labels set, I can, at a glance, say, next month is going to have two sponsors. This month has one sponsor or whatever. And so the, kind of the real power of it for me is that it just gives me a bird's eye view of multiple projects and what state they're in, and I can easily change their state. You know, like if I finish editing something, I just untick the editing label, and then it's obvious at a distance, you know, where that's at. And so, like I said, I have one board that's for projects and one that's for ideas. So when I have come up with ideas for just future things, I'll dump them in that idea board. And then when I want to actually make them into a scheduled project, I just drag them from the idea board over to the projects board. So everything is draggable, everything you can just grab and put it in a different box or a different list or whatever. And I know listening to that description is very vague and probably makes no sense at all. But if you go look at Trello and see it, you'll understand exactly what all that means because it's very simple to use. It's free. It's visual. It's a visual yeah. list. And it actually, it comes from <laughs> Jimmy showing us his, basically it's Trello, but on, on paper for him. But the idea yeah, these comes, are all, This is three columns of videos that, well, I left <laughs> empty columns, but these are all videos of potentially going to build, I'm going to do. Nice. None of them are made yet at all. Yeah, I just took down three notes, three ideas from you. Um, but basically, <laughs> it comes from the old, <laughs> like, you know, if you work race. at an ad agency, it used to work on a big board and they had all these cards on J-hooks. And you would move the cards from one J-hook to the other as it progressed down the line. And it's based, it's based on that. And so it's, it's a great way to have a visual, like you said, bird's eye view of everything that's going on at one time. And so another thing that's really cool about it, and this is like into a whole different level of maybe tech nerddom that I exist in, um, is that Trello, so a lot of the services out there now are have integrations where you can connect Trello to Dropbox or Trello to Slack or to Twitter or to, you know, whatever. They all kind of connect. And so there, uh, Trello has a lot of these integrations where you can have one thing trigger something else. And so for me... I have a thing on my phone where I have just a text editor and I can enter an idea really quickly and then save it. And behind the scenes, it takes that idea, puts it into my project idea list in Trello. And, you know, I could do the same thing from Twitter or I could do the same thing from, you know, think like the Apple Notes thing. There's a bunch of ways for these, all these services to attach to kind of simplify how they work together and how you get an idea from one thing to the other. Because I think that's one of the big problems is like, you know, you have Trello and you have a list of all these things you want to work on, but then you also may have, you know, Evernote that has a bunch of ideas in it. Or you may have a notepad or you may have what, you know, all these kind of disparate technologies that are all good at something, but they don't do everything. And so, My version of that is I start like seven notebooks and never know which one is the one with the most current ideas in it. Yeah. So it's kind of the same problem that you would run into with having physical notebooks. I mean, you still have all these services that have different things in them. But I'm finding just because I really enjoy that type of 
integration stuff, I'm finding ways to get them working together and getting information from one to the other to make them all a little bit more usable. So, and I know that's not very interesting stuff to talk about, so I don't want to talk about that anymore. But you, you, you made a you, like you you did you say you find it fun? Because whatever you, you found it interesting the way interesting, they, yeah. yeah, and. It's funny how, like, to me, like a lot of that stuff can be boring. But when you find that little thing that really makes it work, that connects everything, you're yeah. like, "Oh, this is not a chore anymore. This is actually kind of kind of fun." So when you find those little nuggets, it really makes everything so much easier, more you, fun. You want to know? You want to know Grandpa's version of that? Please, <laughs> Grandpa James. When I find when I find a really good pen or marker that works really well. If I have like a crummy marker in my pocket and writing ideas is, is such a chore. But then if I steal like a good pen from someone's desk and I start scribbling <laughs> with it, I'm like, oh, wow, I just want to write as many ideas as I could spit out. It's because like it's easy. Write. You just like the work of stealing pens, that's all. <laughs> I steal pens all the time. No, so that's, that's uh, when you get a good pen that writes well or a new Sharpie with a fine point and a fat point mm. and neither one of them are mushed yeah. yet or don't have sawdust caked on them. <laughs> It's like the potential is endless. You're you're so right. It's like I have ten guitars. The reason I have ten guitars is every time I get a new one, I write like five new songs. There's mm. something about that tool that just makes me want to create. Yeah, and I think anyway, anytime you can find a way to make a tool be a little bit more to make you a little bit more efficient, make it easier for you to do whatever it is you want to do, then that's something worth like investing your time into getting used to. I mean, that's what like I I used to do all my ideas and stuff in Evernote. I've got tons of stuff dumped in there, but it's slow. You know, it's slow to open the app, find the notebook you want, find the note you want, click on it to be able to edit it, and and that's just to write down an idea. You know, and so I found a way that's simpler. I can open a single app on my phone that all it is is a text input field. I type in my idea and I close the app, and it's done. And that's all that I do to record that idea. But behind the scenes, it's taking that idea. And putting it in the correct note, in the correct notebook, in Evernote, and all that stuff. So it just makes it a lot easier for me to you know, keep track. You could, draw, you could draw an idea on the palm of your hand and take a picture of it, too. <laughs> That's true. And then they're all in the photo al- album. <laughs> That, yeah, oh, that's a good way to do it. I mean, I mean, Jimmy was just showing us his hand. There was some idea written on his hand. It's a cross-section of a piece of steel that I have to make. It looks like an earplug. Hmm. Steel earplug. <laughs> that sounds extremely painful. Yeah, somebody I know this is going to get steel earplugs. No, no, no. That's just it's a, an extruded shape. That's that would be the profile of the extrusion. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, that's my Trello spiel. Somebody was asking, so now I've said it. You might anybody that's you know wants to keep track of a bunch of different things in different states. Um, Trello might be something they'd be interested in. But so. You guys want to talk about what we're watching, or do you have any other questions or comment things that you saw that you want to talk about? Let's do one more question. One more question. Do you have one more question? What? What am I going to be when I grow up? <laughs> You're not going to grow up. That's there. You go. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to grow you up. You know, I'm going to be 50 years old soon. So, and it's I honestly the other day I was like I was talking to somebody who is 50. And he's like, wow, we're getting old. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm almost 50, so like I can't consider myself a youngster anymore. And it's it's really it's pretty amazing that I'm 50 years old. I still feel like I'm 25. And let's I mean, let's talk about every, this for every a day bit. and the yeah. things that I do and the, the things that I create and you know the sort of the sense of discovery is. I know we talked about this, you know, trying to remain youthful. But it's crazy because you know my body's slowing down, and my eyes are, I need glasses, and my my joints ache, and I'm a little chubbier than I was when I first started making videos, and <laughs> and I look at all this things, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't. Let's try. I'm almost fifty. I'm not twenty five anymore. It's just, a, I, I, and I often wonder, what am I going to be when I grow up? Like I, I think, like my commitment to trying to make this building is like my is like my uh, commitment to my adult version of me. Hmm. Hmm. But that's just so I have a good sandbox to play in. That's the only reason I'm able to do that. I think about age all the time. And getting old bothers me, and I know it shouldn't. Like, watching my dog get old bothers me. Yeah. You know, and but I still, I'm 40, but I still feel like I'm 22 because I do things that make me feel young. I think mm. creating, doing stuff with my hands, um, always wanting to learn new stuff. 
I'm like, I'm watching lynda.com every single day. I'm watching these other YouTube videos. Um, there's a bookbinding class on Saturday that I might go to. Like, I <laughs> love learning all this new stuff. And learning makes me feel young. Creating makes me feel young. So I don't feel 40. I feel like a, a punk-ass 22-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of that feeling is just about, and you both just said this, but is about where you put yourself, you know? If you if you decide that, man, I'm getting old, I guess I'd better slow down. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, you put yourself in a place where you're going to slow down. If you look at it as, man, I'm getting old, I better speed up because my time is getting shorter. I better do that's, more because my time that's is That's how shorter. I feel. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, I mean, how I feel. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I look at my grandfather, my grandfather, who I've talked about before, right? I've shown his his awesome carving work that he's done. The dude is 92. 92. And he still drives himself around. He paints pictures. He carves. He about cut his thumb off on a saw a couple weeks ago because he's like still making stuff. Yeah. He just, he's not going to stop. And that's his personality. And I, I think I get a lot of that from him. But... I think it's all about just where you decide you're going to be, you know, and like, I mean, obviously there are things you can't control, you know, your body slows down some, you can't do anything about that. But, um, I mean, for me, like a big part of it is my kids. I decided as soon as I had kids, like I want to be active and involved and, you know, as young as I can be for them, you know, cause it would be really easy to be like, I have kids now, I guess I'd better calm down. I guess I'd better, be responsible and be boring. And, but I'm, I'm actively trying to be the opposite of that. You know, like, wow, I want to be as much fun as active as involved with them and for them as I possibly can be. So for them, for me, they've been a huge motivation in trying to keep me from feeling the age, you know, and hopefully that'll continue. I mean, I'm not old yet, but I mean, I'm no, I'm no Jimmy, you know. What I'm <laughs> I think, believe me, my I idols, don't think I'm a Jimmy either. I can't believe I'm old. <laughs> my idols have changed, you know. So when I was a teenager in my twenties, my idols were like the the twenty year old rock stars. But now uh, at forty, my idols some some of them are still twenty year old rock stars, but some of them are old old people because I look uh, I I've expanded what I my intake of, of yeah. the outside world and that and just because of all these people who inspire me including many many youtubers and, and many people on this podcast it makes me feel young yeah and it's interesting when you, you said that about like the 20 year old rock people it's easy like I remember being uh, in college and in high school and thinking of those bands that like they're just a little bit older than me and they're so cool right and they're so like rock and roll and a lot of those people are still that way now, even though they're 20 years older, just like I'm 20 years older. <laughs> and that, that's pretty cool. You know, look at Dave yeah. Grohl. I mean, the dude is as crazy, if not crazier, as he was. Yeah. But he's he's a grown-up, right? right. <laughs> he never so, finished high school. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and, it's it's interesting that, like, you know, as we get older, yes, our um, – the people that we look up to and the people we kind of model ourselves after and stuff does change to older people because we have a better understanding of who they are. But at the same time, the people that we respected when we were young are also growing older. And uh, that actually has made me think in the past, like I'm feeling a little bit older than I did, you know, 10 years ago or something. And there, now that we are the three of us and many other people are kind of in the public eye to a degree on YouTube there are younger kids that look at us like we looked at Nirvana and like we looked at these people when we were in college or in high school. We're a little bit older than them, but we're not that much older yet. And yeah. so my hope is that in another 20 years, we have the same relevance or I have the same relevance to them as some of those rock people have to me now. I don't know how to say that. That's no, really I think you, it makes sense what you said. Yeah. No, well, you, you grow up, you grow up at the same rate. So you'll always be maintaining that distance. Yeah. But hopefully I can keep that distance and not let that distance grow because, you know, that would be the, I guess, the negative side of getting older and letting yourself separate really far. Like, OK, I'm getting old. I guess I better act like it. You know, um, is, yeah. that would put more distance in between you and the people that look up to you. Uh, in, over time. in my wife's line of work, she studies brain and how the brain works and everything. And it is really important that you keep your brain active, even if you don't have like hobbies where you're woodworking or creating or metalworking it's still important to play like those little games those crossword puzzles to keep your brain active because as you get older um it's 
and she'll correct me if I'm wrong, but if if you don't if you just watch television and you become a vegetable, you increase your chances of Alzheimer's and you increase your chances of, of lower brain activity. So your brain is just another muscle that you have to constantly work and allow yourself to create, be creative and allow input and not just veg out. Yeah. You got to keep not being old. Keep not being old. That's awesome. <laughs> T-shirt. Yeah. T-shirt. New T-shirts. Keep not being old. All right, what are we watching? We got all philosophical there for a minute. Let's, let's just talk about YouTube. <laughs> uh, so I've been checking out – well, I'm not watching anything. I I just got a book, and I just started reading it. Um, so I it's it's kind of a I, – I, it's hard to recommend yet, but I love the title of this book, and it is called Steal Like an Artist, 10 Things oh, Nobody yeah. Told You About Being Creative. And it's an artist uh, who wrote the book, Austin Cleon. Uh, I follow him on Twitter, but he's an artist and he wrote this book. And it, I, I love the concept of this book. So hopefully when I'm finished with it next week, I'll actually, maybe I can give an actual recommendation or a de-recommendation, if that's a word. <laughs> that's not a word. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> uh, what am I? I'm, I'm watching, I've been watching Keith Rutger. Do you guys know Keith Rutger? No. Keith Rucker is uh, vintagemachinery.org. He's a, a, a very, very skilled machinist and he loves old machines. And he goes to flea markets and garage sales and gets cool old tools and talks about them. And he restores cool old machines from a simple vice up into this crazy planer, this planer from like probably 125 years ago. And he gets involved with some big, bigger machine restorations with, with groups. And he, he works actually, I think, um, I'm going to read his about because it talks about a specific place. He works with steam engines, locomotives. He spends a lot of his spare time volunteering at the Georgia Museum of Agriculture, hmm. where he helps to restore and keeps the machinery up and running. So it's all the old cast iron stuff that I like. And he goes into real in-depth about it. So it's cool. Check him out. Keith Rucker. A lot, a lot of the guys that know me like him already i mean he's he's not a hard sell but nice. if you guys haven't seen him it's cool old machinery awesome well somebody uh, i'm trying to find his name and i can't find it on twitter so whoever you were that sent this to me i appreciate it sorry um jaco whatever is the name of the youtube channel yep. and uh he this guy on twitter said hey have you ever heard of this channel and i watched it and man it's cool. The dude shoots really, really nice videos of. Yeah, of, Jocko came to my uh, Jocko came to my shop to visit, and he was just starting his channel out. And he actually sent me his first video. He said, "What do you think?" And he he's a, a genuine artist. He's got a real artistic point of view when it comes to assembling a, a story, a timeline. And it, did you see his his aluminum cast mask? No, I haven't watched oh, many of them yet. But oh, you got to watch! He's got this crazy soundtrack, this like kind of ritual church music. It's really cool. It's almost scary, um, but he, he's got a really good artistic sensibility with everything he does, the things he makes, and then the the way he films them. Yeah, the way the I only watched a couple of them so far because it's, it's pretty new to me. But yeah, the way he shoots and the way he pieces together, you know, like his shots and stuff, very very cool. So yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that's probably about it for us. Uh, we are going to be next week. So this airs on Friday, the following Saturday, like a week after that, we're going to all be on stage in Rochester, New York. Hmm. Yep. Talking. We are. We are. Oh, you didn't get the memo. Oh, I should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll put that in my calendar. I'll write it in my calendar. I'll tell our secretary. I have have class that day. (laughs) I have class that that, that day on the 20th. So you guys are going to be there that night. I'll probably be on my way up there that night. So I won't see you guys that, that Friday night, but I'll see you Saturday morning. I'll okay. wait up for we'll, you. We'll do all the fun stuff on Friday night and then we'll uh, catch up <laughs> with you on Saturday. Now, so we'll cool. be at the Maker Fair. We're doing a talk. I, I don't know the time. I think it's around maybe one o'clock or something like that. But um, mm-hmm. anybody that's in the area, we'd love to meet you and hang out with you. And so come check out the Maker Fair. Uh, you guys got anything else going on? You want to pitch or how, how, how are the book sales going, David? I don't have any actual numbers yet, but they are getting ready to do a second press. Nice. So I guess that's good, right? That I would think so. Yeah, I they only press like fifty the first time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think it's exceeded everybody's expectations. Um, 
I, I we did talk about me doing a second book, and I actually have backed out of that. Um, I just my t- 2016 is already crazy booked with stuff, and I don't booked. That's funny, uh, <laughs> and I and I, I don't want to overdo it, and I want to concentrate on my core business of making videos and content. So I'm going to put off doing another book at least for a year. Yeah, I'm working on a book and it's not easy. It's a lot of work. I mean, I'm not sitting down typing something, but it's not easy for me. I have to provide the content for my co-author to, to type it. I'm, I'm saying things into cameras and video and voicing over. Hmm. And, you know, it's, I did, it's I not did easy. see the pre-order for yours on Amazon. Yeah. Had a, had I know, a copier I, and everything. I was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah, that's all. That's all temporary. They're gonna they're gonna re, they're gonna redo the cover. Dave's gonna be shooting a new cover. David Welder, nice. when the time is right. Yeah, and uh, Nick committed to doing the, uh, the the preface, which is really nice of oh, Nick cool. to do the. Uh, but uh, you know, he said he goes, "When do you need it?" I said, "Well, let's wait till you got something to look at before you write anything." Else. <laughs> I don't know. You might want to have him just write something really nice and flowery about you beforehand. <laughs> he probably will with his, with his sensibility. I'm sure he'll keep it funny. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Anything cool. with you, Bob? Um, no, nothing right. big. Yep, yep. So that'll probably do it for us this week, and we'll see you guys next week. Later on. <laughs>